This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Thunder Buddies and Travellers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, your large man appears Claxon on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined, as I always am, by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? I'm going to give the short answer and say, I'm good, Dave, how are you? I've been better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you were the one with the illness, so, you know, I can't complain yeah. at all this week. I mean, multiple illnesses, really. The first illness was more of an existential one, as we lost the original attempt at recording this episode. Well, um, may, actually, did, did you catch your illness off your laptop that killed the recording? It might have been. It, it might be a virus caught by a virus or something like that. Well, look, I have no idea what happened to 52 Take 1. I have absolutely no idea. Your your recording, your side of the recording, because we record the channel separately to give mm-hmm. you that crystal clear, as if we're in the same room quality you've come to know and love from Days of Thunder. So your track, absolutely pristine. Mwah, beautiful recording. Chef's kiss. Mine vanished off the face of the earth. Our backup recording vanished off the face of the earth. And, um, and Dave wouldn't go with my plan of just release my track. Yeah. <laughs> No, there was there was just release your track, and then someone else I mentioned it to was was saying, "Would you not plays Lee, play Lee's track and try and react to it and fill the silence as if you were doing it live?" I was like, "That sounds like the worst experience on the face, uh, like I could ever imagine." I um, mean, you react normally to my ramblings. I mean, doing it another time yeah. really wouldn't make much of a difference. So, so this time I, I was like. I always feel bad because it is a last resort to get us to... This is only the second time we've ever had to just, like, bin a recording and start again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am loath to do it because, again, as we constantly complain about on this show, we're both quite busy. Um, and then all of a sudden, I became very not busy because about four days ago, I got COVID. Woo! It's taken two and a half years. Yeah. But you got there. They finally called my number, so I apologize if my my voice sounds a little off. Uh, I'm like right, right in the middle of it now. I think I caught it. So for work, I have to test every single day. And uh, well, the night before I would be going in kind of Mm -hmm. thing so that I can give people, you know, fair warning if I'm not going to be there. So I think I caught it literally as I was starting to like uh, catch it. You know, the first night was like the faintest of red lines. And I've, I haven't had the like, you know, the bad symptoms that, that, that people get. Thank God. Like it's, it's a, 
it's a relatively weak strain. It, it feels mm-hmm. only like a like a bad cold uh, to me. But that bad cold has gotten progressively worse over the four days. And, you know, I think today is the, the tipping point where I'm like, I will start to improve because today was the day I was the lowest energy but also some of my throat issues are starting to clear up and some of my congestion issues are starting to clear up so I, I think you know I, our regulations at the moment are we have to um, isolate for a mandatory seven days and then uh, up to a further three days of restricted movements based on getting if, a negative test yeah if you test positive or negative yeah so um yeah over the halfway mark really the only like problem i've had so far is going crazy with boredom but having to do this podcast for the second time is gonna be oh that'll fill some of the time nicely i think <laughs> i think you've been done on purpose <laughs> yeah yeah i know i know like people uh, you know i i said thank god a couple of other things because like, i you know i talk about on my other podcast um Linked to the cast about how I ordered a Retroid Pocket, which is this little emulator device to play old Game Boy and SNES games and stuff on the go. Mm. And I was like, if I had managed to catch COVID the same week that ping arrived, that also coincidentally ha- happened to be WrestleMania week, people would be getting suspicious that I was just taking a week off to watch different shows. But joke's on them, because my Retroid has not arrived, and two, Mania week looks like dog shit. <laughs> 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 I mean, I think the joke's on all of wrestling for maybe a weekend looking yeah. like dog shit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I've had a good chance to um, to sit in and watch some, like obviously rewatch this episode again because we initially recorded this episode before we did the Scott Hall tribute show. Uh, By the way, thanks to everybody for their kind words about that. I, I'm glad somebody rewatched the show. Yeah, I, like most of it, I will say. Um, but I've got a chance to like watch a rake of movies and I've watched some um, some old wrestling as well this week. Not only because I was still on a bit of a Scott Hall buzz, but also because um, in the first plug I want to make uh, on this show, uh, our good friend Mark, Monkey Buckles, is doing his must-see matches project uh, over on Twitter.com at must-see matches. Now, by the time this show gets post, I think we'll... We have just passed the deadline for it. Yeah, we will have, yeah, because it's the end of March, so yeah. yeah. But I'd still give him a follow for when the results of that project come out. You have submitted your list, Lee. I have. I am, I'm probably submitting mine tonight. I'm nicely over the 20 mark now. I want to fill out all 25 um, slots available to me. Um So, I, I yeah, I've been watching some real good stuff from kind of growing up and... Um, it was also kind of an interesting week in that regard because something else that gave me the 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 need to look back was the and I don't want to dwell on it too long because we're not a WWE podcast, but the retirement of Triple H mm. um, that he announced and do you know uh, it's been fun doing the weekend at Bernie's shake <laughs> <laughs> anytime he's mentioned, but like. And I feel like the reactions I, I've seen as are always the case on, on, on Twitter.com have been extreme swinging one way or the other. It's like either you have the the WWE brained people who are acting like he was Misawa uh, or you have people completely dismissing that he had any inherent value to offer at all. 
Um, and and I I do to a certain extent understand both schools of thought because if you're WWE brained you know as we all were at one point in life WWE mm. have told you for long enough that this guy is one of the greatest of all time that it's hard not to let that subconsciously leak into yourself then the other side of things is the more you learn about the inside baseball of the man and the more of his career you watched post quad tears uh, the less enamoured you are going to be by him and the more kind of resistant to give him any credit you would be yeah, it's like, for me, you could almost split his career in two. You have post-2001 and pre-2001. Yeah. And without a doubt, you can say pre-2001, he was one of the best in North America. There, There is a distinct period between the middle of 1999... Mm-hmm. And his quad tear in early 2001. Let, let's not or, forget the match in which he tore his quad was fucking phenomenal. Was one of the, the <laughs> was one of the greatest television matches in the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. Um, but from that period, from like the middle, from that push to SummerSlam um, in '99 on through to his quad tear, I would very much hear your argument that he was the best. In, in North America at the time, uh, definitely in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a guy who, like, he's nowhere near my, my pantheon of the all-time oh, no, greats, no, 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 really. No. But he's around enough of my, like, favorite guys and favorite matches and things like that that I got to give him... You know, some credit for the in-ring work. Again, like you said, post-quad terror when he came back way too big. Reign of terror era, Mm -hmm. fucking absolutely despised. But like, you know, the feud with Foley, the feud through 2000 with The Rock. um, These were the bread and butter of like when I became... Again, like I said, I was watching WWF. I was into WWF from 96. I think... 99 2000 is where right there's no way back for me this is like i live and breathe wrestling now because i'd started watching wcw even though it was dying and i just became so like i was watching shotgun metal live wire mm. raw smackdown nitro thunder you know I, I was in in by 99 2000 and there are so many fond memories associated with him um and how much i fucking hated him at the time because of just how like what a contemptuous heel he was um the royal rumble world championship match with cactus jack is one of the best wwf title matches of all time um i i will fight anyone on that um the hell in a cell the hell in a cell again foley a month later absolutely brilliant and i do feel that even though it was the reign of terror, his feud with the returning Shawn Michaels in 2002 is one of the best of the era um, as well. Yeah, and I think it's kind of something they kind of stumbled from part to part of, but like when you watch it all like, well, the major moments it does make sense, but it's very much that kind of WWE booking of just ignore the weekly TV and just watch the big matches and yeah, it's a really good story. Yeah, um, and it might be the only like significant feud of his I was into post quad tear, mm. and you know I that has more than a little to do with Shawn Michaels trying to prove he could still go and being correct in that assumption in two thousand and two. But yeah, it's just it's 
it's a weird thing because he felt like this guy that obviously until his, his health things we'd be, we'd be like he would be going at least at Wrestlemania every year till the wheels fell off mm-hmm. you know um, so look, look I, the, the man by all accounts seems to have had a, a serious health scare and mm. you know he's retired now and yeah. I don't wish him any ill no um, I do you know like I have no sense of fondness looking back on the last 15 plus years of him in no. the ring you know um, I had to bear witness to him versus Roman at Wrestlemania a match I often joke I think is still going on um, somewhere um, I think the last times I was actually into a match he was in were during that run when it came down to him and Ambrose in the Rumble and then him and Ambrose having that singles match at Roadblock Roadblock end of the line Roadblock end of the line um, I think were the last two times I was into something involving mm-hmm. Triple H and obviously Mox being in there is what I was into exactly, not him yeah. that, because that was the first glimpse of them taking Mox seriously as a threat and people were into it yeah, yeah. And then I got like the, the Evolution Shield six man matches were mm-hmm. crazy, but that was all Shield. You know what I mean? Yeah. He he, um, he was very much the fourth or fifth guy in those matches. Yeah. If yeah. not the sixth. For sure. And um, before we go into we have a bunch of listener questions which I want to get into. Um but seeing as I, I plugged Mark's project there a minute ago, I want to do a couple of other pl- plugs that we had done on our initial recording and now I want to reiterate again. Uh, firstly is uh, our network stablemate here at VOW, Blake, and his show Next Pillar, uh, which is an AEW podcast that he started. He's about 10 episodes in now at this stage, I think. Uh, yeah, about that, yeah, I think. Yeah, um, I, I I very much recommend this show, uh, at Next Pillar AEW, to follow him on Twitter um, and get in touch with him about the show. Um, I feel like it's a different flavor, a different uh, kind of take on the, the AEW podcast. Uh, thankfully, I've had my um, between post wrestling and our, our good friends over at Boom Goes to Dynamite as well. I've got my kind of my boxes are checked for the the review that the show reviews of of Dynamite and Rampage, but um, Blake offers something a little bit different. Where it's kind of like I don't want to say it's a kind of video essay style but it feels more like a fireside chat a conversation with Blake as he kind of talks about the stuff that's happening in between shows his impressions on things and uh, different bits and bobs that that he brings into it it's just I kind of you know from time to time I like uh, a new take on a familiar topic and that's what what blake provides with with next pillar so check that out it's if you're subscribed to the vow feed you're gonna get all this goodness us and him and loads loads more uh the other thing i want to point out um the other show i want to plug uh is our friend uh lee's longtime friend back from the you know fellow board survivor joey who has his uh podcast the at Mox Podcast on Twitter is where you want to go. Uh, and that's the Wild Thing Podcast that's uh, a retrospective podcast on the career of the man we just mentioned mere moments ago, uh, one Jonathan Moxley, um, who is a guy that, like, I remember 
God. Like, I, he kind of, like, his indie rise before he was bought, before he was uh, brought into um, the WWE system was in a black spot for me in following the independence. But I remember there being a lot of, like, buzz on message boards about this guy. And then you see the stuff with him and Regal down in FCW and... Like, as soon as he came up with the shield, he was the most obviously compelling guy in that group. And in spite of the shit they threw at him in his WWE tenure, remained consistently engaging to me. And, you know, now that he's in AEW and he's part of the Blackpool Combat Club and he's doing all this interesting shit and he had his his lengthy AEW title reign, Mox is a guy whose body of work... His entire career is is really interesting to go back on, and that's what Joey is breaking down. I must also recommend as a as a companion piece, if you're going to listen to a Mox podcast, I think I plugged it on this show before. Uh, I read Mox's book around Christmas this year, and it is absolutely sensational. Um, and you would have no problem uh, reading the entire thing in John Moxley's voice. It is it is to a T. Uh, a Moxley book it's it's fantastic and will give you a uh, really good playlist and movie recommendations um yeah so that's the Mox podcast so yeah our our three sort of show plugs um to give you guys more content to listen to in case I get struck down with COVID again or we accidentally delete a show again or lose a show again so that's must matches at must matches uh Mark's project that he is doing to assemble the definitive list of, of must-see matches um you, you're going to want to follow that for for when he puts out the findings of his research um blake's next pillar podcast at next pillar aew and joey's mox podcast uh wild thing at mox pod on twitter well Lee, with all that out of the way uh, I think we should probably turn to some listener questions now. Uh, and I have assembled a, a list of questions here. I have a few from Twitter. You put out the show out earlier on tonight. And um, also we have one that we had answered on the last show from Discord that I believe you're going to help us with. So let's turn over to the questions now. I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. So our first question from the tweet machine, Lee, uh, comes to us courtesy of longtime friend of the show, Webcon. Uh, they say, continuing down Thunder Road, what are you uh, looking the most forward to watching and what are you looking for the least forward to watching? So something you're dreading coming up and something you're really excited for. Hmm. I can think of a couple of examples I, I, I can for think, each. Yeah, I can think of definitely a couple for the good, for the bad. Mm. I think a lot of it kind of blends together in my mind. But for for the good, first of all, Spring Stampede, our next pay-per-view. Yeah. Second of all, the reboot episode, which I'm going yeah. to just love. I've seen it so many times, and I just love that episode so much. Yeah. Um, the... Obviously, the one match that really sticks out is the Benoit Brehart match, the um, the, the special match, yeah, the t- tribute match. Yeah. Um. Anything else good? Do do do. I mean the the Nitro War Games, um, Russo's Revenge. That's that's right on the top of my list. And for the bad, I mean. 
there's the whole WCW World Title Tournament that comes later in the year. Yeah. Um, I think it's 26 World Title changes in 2000. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of anything else really bad. I mean, the one that, that most comes to mind is that we're about six months of thunder time away from the arrival of Vince Russo. Mm. So that... That's a big concern. Yeah, Goldberg's heel turn as well. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the... So because we're going into the period where, like, the bad moments are going to be ridiculously entertaining to us, mm-hmm. I, I think it's hard for me to say that there's, You're you know, something... Yeah. yeah. So it's more things they tried to do or things they whiffed on. So Mm -hmm. the things I was thinking of that I'm least looking forward to is what they do to Mike Awesome. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very quickly after he comes in when he becomes the fat chick thriller and that (laughs) 80s guy. Um, So I'm not looking forward to that. Mm. Uh, I'm not looking forward to them just, let's try Sid again as the top guy. Really? You know, uh no no i'm not look i might get into it all over again who knows it could be nostalgia but yeah i'm I'm looking forward to see it yeah um but things i am looking forward to yeah russo's revenge war games 2000 uh absolutely reboot episode absolutely oh one, one thing i forgot what the the episode of thunder oh uh arquette no oh which one Kevin Nash's I fired myself oh yeah the yeah. one where he's on commentary just ripping into like how he booked himself to be retired and is still getting yeah. more money than anyone else yeah there's I, I'm looking forward to Arquette um, I'm looking forward to we're going we're definitely going to be doing because I'm pretty sure it's a Nitro we're definitely going to be doing a Knights of Nitro um, about uh, Vampiro and Dale Torborg scrapping at a graveyard <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that we might even do um, a whole Knights of Nitro about the uh, the Shane Douglas Billy Kidman Viagra on a pole match. Oh God! <laughs> um, oh, and obviously something for which the anniversary just passed this week: um, the crowning achievement of professional wrestling television. That's the wall, brother. Hey, wall. <laughs> <laughs> which I do have a giant sticker of on my laptop. You do, yeah. Yeah, um, and a poster in this room uh, as well that says, that's the wall, brother. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of stuff like I'm really looking forward to, but I, I suppose the stuff I'm looking forward to most is stuff I've completely forgotten. Yeah. You know? Um, like there are you you remember the best and the worst moments but there's going to be some stuff so much in between between. yeah 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 um i don't know if i'm looking forward or not to um (laughs) three count stand hank abbott uh because a lot of that plays out on thunder um the stevie ray on commentary era of thunder Um, could be rough there there's a lot one thing I'm really interested to break down in a week by week way is we're again also about six months uh, worth of uh, thunders away from Jeff Jarrett. Okay, yeah, I, I actually, yeah, I, I kind of forgot about Jeff coming in later this year. 
I um, am interested to look at that run back again. 100%, yeah, definitely, because he actually has... Does he, he has a couple of feuds that are pretty good from memory. Yeah. Um, one other run that I'm interested to revisit, because I didn't see a ton of it in real time, is Lance Storm's run. Oh, my God. I, oh, I loved that back in the day, when mm-hmm. he had the three belts. Yeah. Yeah. And his his skits with uh, Major Guns yeah. and Elix Skipper and yeah, it's great. I I I really was into Landstorm mm-hmm. when he showed up. Yeah, so you'll have a few guys coming over from ECW, like we we mentioned, Mike Awesome, um, Landstorm. Uh, we're gonna have uh, we've obviously just had we're, we have somebody who comes over on this show that we're about to talk about now, um, who has been in some skits before. Um, God, who else do we have showing up? Oh, Shane Douglas comes comes course, over. Yeah, is it, is, I think it's this year. It's it's two. It's it is. He's yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. he's definitely there by two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, Candido as well. So that's gonna be actually no. You're right. It's it's he comes in around the time of the um, the reboot, doesn't he? Because he attacks I, Flair. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's there by then, but I don't know how long he has yeah, been it's, there. It, for, it's like, around. March, April 2000. Yeah. Uh, this kind of stuff will be interesting. Um, stuff that I've kind of like Mandela affected from my youth. The stuff that I've never had the... Like I've watched pay-per-views back, but I haven't watched whole runs mm-hmm. of WCW TV uh, in their entirety since it was on like first. So this is the kind of stuff I'm really looking forward to. And like I said, yeah, the, the, the stuff we're looking forward to least is the stuff that, like, missed opportunities to turn the ship around or guys they should have put the rocket on yep. um, and didn't. Uh, let's move on to our next question. Um, we have two questions here from Lee Craig. So, given that no pay-per-view buy rate will surpass what Super Bowl Nine drew in what remains of WCW... What is WCW doing well, and what are they dropping the ball on, in your opinion, now as they begin to experience a steady commercial decline? And I'm going to say right now, number one thing that they're like that is bugging me the most, maybe not the number one thing they're dropping the ball on, but the thing that is starting to bug me the most is Booker T. Yep. Like I, I 100% agree. It's. And it's not just Booker, it's Booker and DDP. Now, I know DDP yeah. gets his kind of crowning moment within the... That's Spring Stampede, actually. Um, but 100% not pushing those two in particular up into the upper echelons. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Booker in particular should should have been elevated long before this. I know he was injured, but yeah. there you go. There's a perfect way to bring him back. You bring him back and you put him in a top field. Um, as a for what they're doing well at the moment, like again at this precise snapshot moment, even though like we know for a fact it doesn't last, they've done a very decent job rebuilding the tag team titles. Mm-hmm. Like at, at during this yeah, week, this week, yeah, <laughs> you know, since the pay per view, the tag titles are hot and part of a pushed feud. And doesn't I, fucking last. I will give them credit. They've done a good job with Kidman over the past six months. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I 
Um, God, who who else is there that they've kind of done? Ray and Conan. Yes, Ray and Conan. Um, uh, I mean, apart from taking the mask, I was just going to say, can you say that considering they took the mask yeah. off? Um, but absolutely, Conan. Conan. Conan kind of fits into that missed opportunity kind of profile as well, though, because he is so ridiculously over, and they never pull the trigger on him. Yeah, yeah, and that is again. It kind of echoes back to what you said in the last question um, about stuff that's coming up ahead. Um, it's dropping the ball. So like big ball drops happened towards the end of '98 with the like the the way they ended the streak, mm-hmm. um, the matches they left on the table, yeah, um, things like that. Um, the the, stu- the the feuds they just swept aside to put a belt on Hogan. Um, that kind of stuff. Now the, it's it's less drop balls, more missed opportunities. The 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 Raven stuff that they have just dropped for no reason. Yeah. Um. What else have they done? Like, um, it's we're entering the era of hot shotting, and it's not. Um. It obviously reaches its apex in two thousand, but you can you can tell they don't have the attention span to keep with things that. Either they're n- they've lost interest in themselves, or they don't think hit on the level they wanted it to straight away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything else you think they're doing well at the moment? <sighs> no, I mean not nothing that springs to mind, like off the top of my head. Um, I think they've the last couple of pay per views. I think they've built well in as much as like you know we've got less of the random matches Lee can't guess before the show <laughs> because they've actually done a good job of telling you that the pay-per-view is important. I suppose, yeah, you can give them credit for that. Um, Super Brawl, which, as Lee says, is the last or the, the, the largest um, buy rate before the company shuts down. Um, absolutely did a very good job of building to the pay-per-view. Some some of the matches felt really really important, like Conan and Ray against um, National Luger, which turned out to be National Hall. Um, yeah, the world title match felt big. Um, yeah, so th- credit to them for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, follow up then from Lee. Also, I'd like both of the lads' opinions on what the WWF is doing. Uh, in regards to February 99 in the timeline and why it is proving more popular than WCW. Is it the wrestlers, the in-ring product, the booking, presentation, etc.? Considering a year ago, the opposite could have been said. So where we are in the timeline um, is the middle of February 1999. So we're in the the build to WrestleMania 15, the raging climax, Lee, um, which is the the first WrestleMania encounter of, of Austin and The Rock. Um, we've just had Paul White debut uh, at St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That's Paul White, you know. Yeah, that's Paul White. Um, and it's interesting. I definitely wouldn't say that it's the in-ring product no. at this period of time. Um, it is horrendous by and large at but this point. They're doing things right in that like they've just done halftime heat. Yeah. Um which got a monster monster um viewership from what I remember. I I think Rich did something on it last year. Or uh, just the Super Bowl just gone, didn't he? He covered halftime yeah, heat. I think so. Um and the history of halftime heat. Um 
So they've just done that. The the Rock Foley feud was incredibly popular and, and over. Um, yeah. Austin versus McMahon again. Yeah. I mean, it's the boring answer to say like Austin versus McMahon, like mm-hmm. the perfect, you know, uh, feud. But it is true. It's the single, it, it, you know, it's very much, even though the month to month and like, I haven't watched a lot of the 98 pay-per-views WWF did in a long time, but just going back when uh, listening to old Attitude Era podcasts, when they were talking about mm-hmm. the 1998 pay-per-views and just like, wow, month to month, a lot of this booking was dog shit. Um, yes. Do you know, like conspiring different convoluted ways to try and screw Austin out of the title and stuff like well, that. But I'll, it's the, it's the, it, go on, yeah. I was just going to say, like, it's the fact that, like, in spite of him having his crown of moment at WrestleMania 14, yeah, Austin hasn't been champion since September 98. And they've yeah. done a good job of saying, right, we're going to WrestleMania and he's going to get his another crowning yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those things, you know, because, like, God, that, that WrestleMania 15 card is... Fuck. Like, you know, it's it's some of it is you know a lot of fun some of it is not so much some of it is big boss man dangling from a cell um but it's the it's the thing Meltzer always says isn't it where it's like when a company is hot they can do almost anything and the company will stay hot and when a company is cold there's nothing they can do to turn it around um and it's kind of like, yeah, from the moment Tyson and Austin happened on Raw, the th- like in particular, the thing caught fire. And there have been good feuds and there have been very, very bad feuds uh, across 1998 and 99 in WWF. But fundamentally, it's the hot company now. It's the, it's the number one and it has the mind share of people. People want to see what Stone Cold's doing. And particularly after they, they fucked the, the Goldberg stuff uh, and things like that, there is no parallel in WCW at the moment to the, the, the Austin Supernova. Um, so I suppose the main thing they're doing right at this stage is they haven't fucked it up as much as WCW have. Yeah, WWE never did a show like the Georgia Dome with the Finger Poker Doom. They they never fucked over the fans to that extent. Um, whereas WCW we now did and instantly lost so much credibility with their own fan base yeah. that they just kind of never recovered in spite of how much they would go to do right. Like we, like we just said, there's stuff we're looking forward to, but yeah. they could just never recover the fans that they lost. Right. Do you know what's an interesting contrast is that, like, so the finger poke of doom happens, and so does the them a deadly game redoing Montreal again, mm-hmm. um, and the rocks turn and all that. Um, but I, I think about it like this I'm like, when the rock turned and when they redid the Montreal thing, at no point in my mind do I think. Austin isn't coming out on top ultimately here where as soon as the finger poke of doom happens you're like oh well that's it like you know this era of this company is fucking over (laughs) you know um it's interesting yeah I mean even like if you think of it from a smart fan like like obviously now with hindsight it's easy to see but like if if it was one thing where you could say right they're they're building up this layer of people for Goldberg to run through and get to Hogan again and eventually you know mm. 
do it on pay-per-view and Hogan's going to put him over again. Yeah. But nobody with any semblance of how the business works had... Nobody thought that Hogan was going to put over Goldberg again. You know, like everybody knew that was never going to happen again until Hogan got his win back. I mean, this is this is the guy that brought in a fucking a retired warrior to put him over six years later. Like, yeah. you know, it's... Yeah. So... Um, but yeah, no, like absolutely, that that is the the key difference. Whereas with the WWF, you always knew Austin was gonna, he was always gonna one up McMahon, no matter what happened on a week to week basis. When it got to the big show, Austin was getting sandraised. Yeah. Um, the next two questions, I suppose we can take as a a double barreled one because they're kind of related. Um, Ashley Clements uh, asks Steiner Brothers going into the Hall of Fame. And Gary asks, how much are you looking forward to Scott Steiner's Hall of Fame speech? Um, <laughs> I I think, like, firstly, um, it's long overdue. Um, I know their, their tenure is quite brief in the WWF, but, like, it is kind of a... Um, it's one of those things where, like, WWF elected itself the Hall of Fame of all of wrestling quite some time ago. Um, mm-hmm. so like their contributions to wrestling and, and kind of how popular they were at their peak, um, and the careers both men went on to have, particularly Scott separately. Um, I think they deserve the, the induction for sure. I love the Steiners. Um, um as for the speech, I don't know. Like I, Especially because it is being it is being broadcast live, isn't it? They're not doing a yeah, it's a live show. Here. But um, I don't think they're going. To, are they crazy enough to give Scott a live mic? I think they. I see. I think it's going to be one of those years where everything is heavily timed. So like they'll get mm-hmm. like. Do you remember there was like a golden era of Hall of Fame where they kind of just let them fucking run. Yeah, because they weren't on like um, they weren't on. Was it NBC? They were putting them on. I uh, I uh, yeah. I think the f- the first couple after they brought it back, it wasn't it. Twenty one was the first big one, two thousand and five, where it yeah. was like Hogan, Hart, Orndorff, Piper. Yeah, and they just let them talk, and it just ended up as its own DVD on the on the I, um, DVD set. Yeah, I used to uh, I used to watch those Hall of Fame. They were great crack, like because you mm-hmm. get so many good stories and 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 gags and stuff like that. Um, and then it kind of like it got rapidly out of hand. Like I think the one people still rib to this day is the the Beth Phoenix one from a couple of years ago. Or God, who was it? There was one in twenty sixteen that went on for absolutely forever. I remember we were watching it. It was when we were in Dallas, me and the lads. And was it Mr. T? We didn't actually go. It might have been. We didn't actually go to the Hall of Fame ceremony. We we live streamed it uh, from our hotel, and we all fell asleep during one of the speeches because it went on for fucking ever. Um, so I think they've tried to trim it back. I remember the one that was like a criminal shame because they broadcast it on TV was they gave Austin like less than 10 minutes from what I remember. Um, but, uh, wasn't that when Austin inducted JR? I think it was his induction as well. Was only like, Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Right. 
I think I look. I could be misremembering, but I feel like people were giving out about like like of all the people to cut short time wise. But anyway, um, yeah. What what are you, what are your takes on the, the the Steiners going in? Yeah, I mean, well, well deserved. Like the you want to talk about the like they were the number one American tag team of the nineties, whether it was in. WCW or in New Japan, like they they were like they were the tag team of the nineties in America. Um, yeah, absolutely deserved. So they have some great matches in their in their back catalog. Scott obviously went on to be a major single star. Well, I don't know if he, what you'd consider major, but like he definitely had a good run as a single star in yeah. WCW. I, like probably as good as good a run in dying days WCW as anyone was getting. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, like, we're, we're right at the beginning of his kind of elevation up the card. So, we have that to look forward to. Obviously, he hasn't mm-hmm. got Medeja yet in our timeline, but that's still to come. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, absolutely deserved. And uh, I hope for Braun Breaker's uh, point of view that Scott doesn't say anything too bad. <laughs> Do you think they're just going to be like, they're just gonna cave and be like, "Who the hell is this guy inducting the Steiners?" He looks, his name is Breaker. He looks very similar to them, but he can't be related in any way. <laughs> Maybe they'll turn it into a Dudley's thing where Rick Steiner was going around all of America, having a kid in every town. <laughs> Big bad booty daddy Dudley. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> leaving all his little puppies all over America. Oh lord, that's a visual. Um, we have one more. Uh, give me a moment there. Uh, we have one more from Twitter. Uh, where is it now? My apologies. Do 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 do. Oh, it's um from Navdeep. Uh, he says, "What do you both think would have been the correct way to end the New World Order storyline?" And that's something we've kind of mused over on and off on the podcast, Lee. Um, I think we've come down kind of on the side of something that uh, Kim Geist suggests as well in the in a reply to that tweet, which is the idea of doing a big blow off war games Hollywood versus Wolfpack uh, kind of deal to settle the NWO family drama. Um, I also think some sort of like, there needed to be some sort of conclusion between the NWO versus WCW thing. There needed to be, like, a final match or series for, control, like, total control of the company. One company, you know, shutters and goes home, do you know? Like, I don't want like, to like, go... I was going to say, like, like it, what ended up being the, the WWE Survivor Series 2001, like, it... Winner take all! Winner, winner, it, winner take all! <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, no, that that's what it needed to be. They they should have done like a whether it be a Starcade, a Great American Bash, or like they they should have built to a pay per view. Actually, it would have been like an idea to do Bash at the Beach like three years later, like Bash at the Beach ninety nine or whatever, to have yeah. NWO versus WCW one more time. Losing group must disband. Whatever, whatever yeah. way you want to do it. Uh, in this scenario where they do like the Survivor Series 2001 kind of thing um, who is winning your immunity battle royal uh, 
they you you want somebody with like the wrong kind of heat that everybody is absolutely sick of a la test in 2001 uh, so who are you picking to win your immunity battle royal and why is it van hammer it's disco obviously oh god yeah it probably is uh, isn't it i mean there's no other choice it has to be disco oh god <laughs> I'm trying to think how he can incorporate the immunity thing into... Like, could he staple his his immunity thing to his disco ball? I was just... Like, he would just come out and... Almost go back to his original character where he would just come out and dance in the middle of people's matches. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, what are you going to do? Fire me? Yeah, exactly. Like, he would just go pure flair. Like, fire me. I'm already fired. Yeah. Oh, God. Haunting. Haunting possibility. Uh, Lee, you have one holdover question from the Discord from our initial attempt to try and do this episode. Hit us with that. <laughs> uh, I do. Hang on. I find it because I lost it. Do, do, do. Where's it gone? Where's it we gone? are professionals okay. on this program, as Cheeky Baby would say. I, I totally forgot that I had to keep it open, so that's why. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so uh, this question is from... Our good friend, Jamie O.D. Missing brother. Yeah, a friend we haven't seen in many's a long time. Uh, you are tasked with adding WCW matches to the Rey Mysterio showcase mode in, two, in 2K22. What do you add? Eddie or Halloween Havoc is the only WCW match in the mode. So Dave, what matches from WCW Rey Mysterio do you add to this mode? I think for better or worse, you have to add the match we just covered on the pay-per-view the 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 mask losing match mm-hmm. i i think that is an important match in his canon even though again we need to stay for the record we absolutely in a million years that we had the book would not have taken his mask but it is an important one um i would probably have done the jericho match the the mask versus the mask versus title match yep um and ooh, I don't want to I think my third one was gonna be one of your answers, so I don't want to steal your thunder. What would you pick? So I think you absolutely have to have his debut match against Psychosis at Bash of the Beach ninety six. Yeah. Um he then has a match with Dimalenko, I want to say it's either the following night on Nitro or the following week. Yeah. The week afterwards when they're still at Disney. Um, he has a great match with Dean Malenko on Nitro. Um, other than that, maybe if you wanted to have like one of the Dejusian Liger matches, he has. Mm. Um, that uh, that three way with Hoovy and Kidman. Yeah, that'd be another good shout. Um, anything else? I mean, do you really want some filthy animal era, Ray? Yeah. The, the the pitfall you run into with a lot of his WCW stuff is there's a lot of really good matches in there, but are they important matches in the career of Rey Mysterio, or are they, in the case of, like, you pick a random Hoovy match, that's a match that's more important to the career of Juventud Guerrera mm-hmm. than it is of, like, Rey Mysterio is just coming out having another banger. It's what the fucker does. Like, do you know what I mean? That is true. Um, like, he's just consistently very good to great in WCW. So there aren't a huge amount of bad choices. Um, 
you know, they've already got the, the Halloween Havoc match with Eddie in, but I would like have put in some more of the Eddie feud mm-hmm. as well. That goes on for like quite a while. Um, yeah. Um, like what a dude. And, and that like, it's one of the, like, I'm not getting the game unless it, like, uh, unless it gets heavily discounted in spite of the fact that it does sound like it's a marked improvement on the last two years of those games. But doing a career retrospective on Rey Mysterio is definitely something that piqued my interest because, holy hell, like, what a body of work. A guy that up until very recently was still putting out some bangers like his feud with Andrade mm-hmm. in his most recent WWE run if you haven't checked that out uh, loath as I am to get people to watch contemporary WWE for any reason whatsoever um, it's a great feud um, unfortunately now he's he's stuck with his giant fail son <laughs> who, who would you rather as your son Dominic Mysterio or David Flair Probably David Flair. And the reason I say that is because I think very quickly the pretenses around everybody that there was any chance he'd ever be good stopped. Whereas, like, we're, like, two years into the Dominic Mysterio run and people are like, oh, he's going to come good any day now. You know, he's, he's got to. And it's like, dude is 25 years old nearly. Is is not happening, guys. <laughs> If only Eddie had won custody of him in 2005, things could have been so different. He has all the grace of a fucking cinder block. (laughs) (laughs) Now I just picture Ray as uh, Father Jack, I love my brick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fully that. Like, at least with... At least with... With with David Flair, it's like you get the comedy of him looking like a gormless Egypt who's about to cry every five seconds. And they very quickly go, right, let's put him with a much more entertaining act in, in Crowbar and Daphne and keep him away from Rick. Comedy draw, yeah. Like, yeah. And that's the perfect slot for him. Whereas, like, WWE are trying to make this fucking oaf happen. Like, they are... <laughs> Honestly, he's an oaf. You know, <laughs> so you don't have a top three uh, Dominic Mysterio matches. No, I don't. But I don't have a bottom three either. They're all on the same level. Take that for what you will. Like the dude is the like the equivalent of like the really clumsy rumor. Oh, sorry, did I break your shit? Like that's that's him. Like where he's like, oh, did I do that? Like, <laughs> you know, that's what he is. <laughs> it's fucking like and like part of me understands from booking point of view is like right okay put him in a tag team with his dad because like at least this match falls apart and at least you've got Rey Mysterio can come in on a hot tag or do something that will at least make it worth your while being there but what it, in practice what it's doing is making the contrast even worse between the two of them you know because it's like even Rey Mysterio who was told that what was it that if you jumped off a curb you'd break your leg he was told that in about 1998 and this is 24 years later and he is still 10 times the wrestler that Dominic ever will be (laughs) yeah but he also had that uh, what was it the the stem cell work yeah yeah Yeah, that's true but uh, yeah no it was I think the Robin Robin Van Persie like horse spleen or whatever rubbed on his knees (laughs) um 
Yeah, I think I think the term was if he misstepped off a curb and his knee dislocated, that would be it. Like, yeah, I know that feeling. But like, uh, it's just he's a fucking disgrace. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like think of the people they fired. <laughs> just, <laughs> just think. Of Remember it. when he was in a feud with Buddy Murphy? Look, we we were <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Look, we're talking about we mentioned a minute ago Bron Breaker and how like Bron Breaker is Rick Steiner's son and they won't call him a fucking Steiner. If Dominic Mysterio was in WWE, if I was Rey Mysterio, I'd be like, do not call him Mysterio. I don't want that <laughs> association with this whatsoever. <laughs> call him Dom Breaker. I don't care. Do you think Rey's <laughs> Do you know what? Rebook it. Tell them Bron Breaker's my son. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that fucker's only had like 35 matches and his ceiling is exponentially higher than this guy <laughs> do you think uh, if Dominic ever leaves and goes to AEW he'd become like a gold dust type character just to shame his father do, do you know what's really like I, I, I always think when, when people like this end up getting not just Wrestlemania matches but now he has been like uh, from this weekend he'll have been on multiple Wrestlemanias right I think about do you remember how on podcasts Lance Storm used to mention how annoyed he was that he never actually had a match on WrestleMania main show that he kept getting bumped off? Yeah, he still yeah. got his payday for one. Was it him and Regal? Were oh, the, the, the pre-show against the Dudleys. Yeah, it's like they were supposed to go on and they only found out right before they were getting bumped off the main show. So I just think about like, oh, somewhere in Calgary, Lance Storm going... I have no WrestleMania matches. Dominic Mysterio has two. <laughs> Just like <laughs> okay, here here's a here's a comparison. I didn't think that that question was going to leave us there. Here, here's a comparison. Who would who would you rather have as a partner, Dominic Mysterio or ten year old Nicholas from WrestleMania? Whatever. Oh, fuck. Nicholas, hands down. That kid is a fountain of charisma by comparison. <laughs> Do you know who I'd rather have uh, as my tag partner? I would rather have Star of Backlash 2006, God, as my tag partner. We're just the spotlight and the holy music, and then he forsakes me. That's a better gimmick than watching Tom Mysterio wrestle. Well, I mean, God hit all the spots flawlessly. He did. He did. The holy roller himself. <laughs> the holy roller. It's a fucking great feud, man. <laughs> It's just so fucking dumb. Do you remember when he did the Triple H spit out of the holy water fountain? Who would have thought that would curse Triple H? (laughs) Dead for 10 years. (laughs) Right. I suppose we better go talk about Thunder, buddy. Um, Thunder, buddy. Uh, Before we do that, a word from our sponsors. This episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you once again by our fine friends at HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Warm yourself up from the inside out with limited-time recipes inspired by cosy classics from around the world, like the beef tenderloin and cheese fondue, or miso sesame shrimp and bacon ramen. 
HelloFresh offers you the flexibility you need to easily customize your order online or in the app, easily change your delivery day, food preferences and plan size, or skip a week whenever you need to. To avail of the wonderful offer that our friends at HelloFresh are offering us, you go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use the code VOW16. That'll get you up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That is value you just can't beat. It's HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use the code VOW16. That's HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. And now back to the lads. Okay, this is our second attempt at Thunder, episode 52, coming to you from Salt Lake City, Utah on the 25th of February, 1999. Um, It is, like, we've had a few special episodes in a row now, Lee, but it is, it's, like nice and comfy to be back on thunder road in some respects isn't it oh yeah i i miss doing thunder like don't get me wrong i enjoy doing these special episodes but yeah thunder is our bread and butter this that's why we're here so it's nice to kind of slip back in and get back into the groove and move towards another pay-per-view yeah the cycle begins again but let me tell you, something I really notice on this show is some dodgy post-production. Um, <laughs> starting off with Tony's voice over here, which sounds like days later hungover in a shed somewhere in Atlanta, uh, as opposed to anywhere near Salt Lake City. Um, it's it's really bad in this, because usually they are good at kind of dubbing in the commentary on these shows where they're not there, but this was bad, wasn't it? Yeah, th- throughout this show, it's like um, they have all the signs of these guys are not in the arena. You never see them on screen. Like you said, the, the dubbing of the uh, audio is very bad at times. And the effort just is not there at all from the from the commentary team. Yeah. Um, speaking of effort, they, they throw us straight to a video package and then it's a match that pits... Damien versus Hack. Fucking Hack is here. Lee, as if I hadn't been hacking enough this week with COVID, uh, it's time to talk about Hardcore Hack himself. Um, He comes out looking like absolute shit. Um, Covered in... he's, He's like wrapped very loosely in barbed wire with a kendo stick and no music and my first note about this is like sometimes the no music thing works mm-hmm. like when it's a heel and the sound of no theme music can be like replaced by the chorus of booze from a full building this is his first match on Thunder and people have no idea what to make of this cunt <laughs> you know it's not like they're doing it with Bam Bam and Bam Bam gets heat when he comes out it's not working for hack. And also the idea of having it happen, like they're doing the no music gimmick for, for at least two people yeah. on the roster. Um, and considering they had, yeah. they had also just been doing it for um, the giant as well. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no hack. Uh, unfortunately, hack does not look too good here. Um, no, I don't think I, I'm going to make an assumption here that, ECW may not have been that big in Salt Lake City. I don't know. No, it doesn't seem like it was their bread and butter area. Um, maybe maybe Hack had a, a huge following in Salt Lake City, and just they just weren't there <laughs> that night. Who knows? Um, I I will tell you what, mate. The Mormons massively into Hack. <laughs> what do you think of calling him Hack? 
I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, they literally just call him by his nickname. Yeah. Yeah, I don't cuz there's no explanation. He was going by another name during the Raven skits. There appears to be at least for the Thunder audience, there is no explanation. I I think you're supposed to forget he's that guy now. Oh yeah, they um, they've totally reconned it, yeah. Yeah. Um even though like again later on he's going straight into a feud with Raven. Um, it's it's weird. It's really weird the way they've handled him. And yeah, just calling him hack. Like I I get the they seemingly weren't able to call him Sandman. Um, you know, and I don't know if it's because ECW held the IP rights or because you know the Sandman is an incredibly popular comic book character so maybe no one had locked down the rights for Sandman and they weren't getting away with that shit on Turner I'm gonna guess it's nobody had the rights and they just didn't want to attempt it because they didn't want to get sued yeah um, so yeah him coming out as hack and then like he just does a fucking just a dog shit promo that's like it's only about 20 seconds long but it was just like he clearly forgot the way he was supposed to say everything, and he just wanted everybody to know that all his matches are going to be hacks matches, which, yeah. And then he explains that that means there are no rules. So they're, they're hardcore matches. Stop me if you've heard that one before, Lee. I'm going to shock you here, Dave. I'm pretty sure I've heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, Damien is his opponent here, um, who, again, I have not seen in a dog's age on this show. Um, he's back. Um I do like, so again, we mentioned that he's like loosely wrapped kind of from from uh, neck to feet in barbed wire. Um, and I thought I was going to hate the first couple of spots here because the bell rings and Damien like straight away just starts repeatedly clotheslining Hack. And I was like, oh, the, the, the barbed wire gimmick is already dead. But then after like two or three, he starts selling, selling the yeah. barbed wire. Yeah, so I was like, okay. And not only that, but Hack, who is wrapped in barbed wire, is selling it. So at least that's realistic. It Now, you want to think about it a bit too much. You think, well, two or three moves in, Hack is already patently an idiot because he's, he's selling injury at the barbed wire he voluntarily put on himself. I mean, it's Hack. He is an idiot. Yeah. Um, and... Funnily enough, clotheslines into a man wrapped in barbed wire, not nearly the most dangerous thing that happens in this match. Almost straight away, Damien nearly lands on the top of his head off a tope. Uh, this is my first of a couple of shrieks during this match. Um, he also then attempts a moonsault off the top rope onto Hack, who is still standing up. One, it looked terrible, and two, he nearly spiked himself a second time doing that. Yeah, that that was the one that absolutely got me. Like he he came very close to uh, breaking his neck. Yeah. Uh, Tanae then alludes to a sickening incident that happened on Nitro uh, involving the NWO. Something that you know the way they were talking about it was like, oh, there's going to be an extended video package recapping this thing later. They never did. I'm guessing they, they they just showed up. That was the sickening. Yeah. Oh my god. Look at the look at the way Hogan is dressed. <laughs> oh. Um Hack does a guillotine leg drop, then does another outside on the railing. Like, Jesus, this match was bad. It was like they had It's like he was feeling his oats and went, Do we have the first two we have the the 
the, the clotheslines into the, the barbed wire. We're going to sell that. We're going to do a tope to the outside. And then we'll just call it. You know, that they came out there with that kind of confidence and then came out and were like, shit. Oh, fuck. <laughs> do you think he got blown up and just called the same spot twice by accident? It, it's possible. Um, back in the ring, Hack takes a few cane shots. Then he dodges one and does his cane-assisted Russian leg sweep for the <coughs> I was honestly just glad this was over. Yeah. Um, not the most uh, impressive debut match, shall we say, for uh, one Hackster. No, especially like if you're going to... Because again, they they follow up this match with an angle later when Raven is out to, to go into a feud. And you think if you want this to be like an even moderately heated feud, you either would have you know, made him shine a bit more, Hack, or you would have had some more spectacular hardcore stuff in here because the, the, the theme of the feud is people walking around calling themselves hardcore. So you think, like, obviously, it, you know, in a visceral sense, a man wrapping himself with barbed wire is hardcore, but I couldn't really call it much of a hardcore match apart from that. No, like, there there really wasn't anything that would make you sit back and take notice, and that that's kind of the problem. Where yeah, you have you have this guy coming out cold, calling himself hardcore, um, ripping off Raven drools, and then just yeah. not really doing anything. Because they ignore the referee and do some spots outside, but fucking everybody in WCW does that. Like it's not special, mm-hmm. you know. Um. Anyway, uh, we get the Hogan versus Flair match recap. Um, the the lads in commentary say that the the planned Flair uh, and David uh, kind of confrontation. Uh, on Monday had been interrupted by an NWO skit. There's going to be a flare announcement in North Carolina on Monday, which they're very concerned about. And this is one thing that, like, I think Heenan did a great job on. Um, Heenan talks about how, you know, in WCW, we were always telling you that, you know, there's a big announcement coming Monday, or, you know, it's going to be the biggest Nitro ever. Uh, but he kind of levels with the audience. And he's like, honestly, this is a huge announcement. You're not going to want to miss it. I shudder to think what this announcement is. I have a feeling I know what it is, and I don't want it to happen. Re- really playing up the kind of retirement angle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that Heenan does a great job on that. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. 
And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, I'm setting these things off. It's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Um, our next match is Hector Garza versus Psychosis. Um, and this is kind of just like we, we settled down from the, the kind of no heat bullshit opener. And we just have some Roslin here. Yeah, this um, is just a nice enjoyable Lucha match. Yeah. And it's 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 the hallmark of a like a a taped thunder. It's like oh, we don't have anything on. Let's just leave the lucha lads to their own devices. And more often than not, Lee, it becomes a pretty entertaining match. And it makes you wonder. Like psychosis is kind of featured, um, on and off on Thunder. But it makes you wonder. Is like why do they keep mothballing a guy like Hector Garza? Yeah, they, like <laughs> there you go. Like guys like Garza, guys like Laparca, like. These are guys that could absolutely like we we mentioned earlier on. They've kind of rejuvenated the tag division. Why not yeah. like throw a couple of tag teams together? Like give them a few wins. Yeah. See see if anything takes. Yeah. Um, like psychosis. We always mention it. Like the guy is like absolutely fucking fearless, uh-huh. and he is over. <laughs> Psychosis isn't just a gimmick, my friend. No, like, it, it's really not. But, like, every time we see him, we either end up going, yeah, that was really good, or the guy is nuts and I wouldn't do half the shit he does. But, yeah. you know what? He leaves an impression. And they really don't use any of the luchadors enough. No. There's, like, there's two spots here really early doors where there's, like, a, a really clean, impressive-looking leapfrog from Hector Garza. And then Garza also hits just a textbook top-rope moonsault. And it's one of those things, like, you know, we say it about the likes of, say, Perry Saturn with his splash mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, it's not the most, like, it's not a fucking Phoenix splash or a 450 or anything like that. But there is something to the crispness of a perfectly executed move. Mm-hmm. You know, I always go on about the spinning neck breaker, you know, as being like yeah. when one of those is synced in just right, there's there's nothing like it, you know. Um, or our pal Jamesy always talks about the chop block, you know, something so simple, but when it's done right and with a purpose. And this moonsault here is just like, you know, it's not the flashiest thing in the world. It's not the craziest thing you'll see in a lucha match, but it's goddamn impressive. 
Yeah, for sure. Like it's it's uh, just one of them things where like some of these guys are so smooth that they really do stand out above some of the kind of lower card American wrestlers. Like, and it it does make you wonder: was it just flat out racism that these guys didn't get more TV time? Mm. Um, and because they're two of the bigger guys in that kind of like under that luchador umbrella, they're able to do kind of a bit more of the power and strength stuff. So there's a bit where Psychosis attempts a, a cross body and Garza just catches him and turns it like in one smooth movement into a power slam, which was great. Um, <laughs> during this, uh, Heenan is trying to barter with uh, David Flair for time with Samantha. Um <laughs> he's saying that like at one point he says that if I can have uh, if I can have an evening with Samantha I'll give you Ralphus uh, but my favourite part of this is uh, Heenan absolutely bodying David Flair uh, because he mentions Samantha and uh, Tony says hey look if you so much as look at her David Flair is going to and I quote come at you and Heenan like pauses for a beat and then calls David Flair a punk with a taser. <laughs> like when the deeply middle-aged retired manager Bobby Heenan isn't remotely afraid of you, you have some problems. And when he won't even like, you know, Flair is his boy, but he won't put over David. No. <laughs> He's got credibility Bobby- to defend. But yeah, I was just gonna say, Bobby will always keep his credibility. He is not putting over a geek like David Flair. Yeah. Um. So Garza gets crotched in the ropes. Sikosis hits uh, his second top rope spinning wheel kick of the match, uh, and then in a moment, Lee, that I know you lost your mind for, Hector Garza hits an alley oop. <laughs> The single worst move ever innovated in wrestling. <laughs> I'm gonna dare you. I'm gonna lift you up for a power bomb, one of the most impactful moves ever invented. But oh no, I'm not gonna power bomb you. I'm gonna fall back onto the back of my own head. Your disrespect of the alley oop knows no bounds, my friend. It's it's And it's never it's never you. smooth either, because they have to lift them up and stop and make sure they're ready. And then fall back. <laughs> you know what I always say about the alley-oop? Uh, why I love it so much is that there is, in fact, no BS going on with that alley-oop. Mm. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Uh, it goes up top, crotched, Hurricane Rana, guillotine leg drop, and a win for Sikosis. He gets the leg. Oh, yeah, this is... So, this leg drop. Oh, yes. I want to talk yes. about for a second. Yes. This is... So, he does this top rope leg drop standard stuff and again this comes back to what we said about the moonsault and like the simple move executed so well he leaps off the top rope and his body is like completely vertical and when i tell you he is maybe his soles are maybe a foot two feet off the ground at best before he pulls the leg drop like the legs up into the leg drop position i'm not exaggerating am i, I would say it's legit less than a foot off the ground because he leaves it to the very last second and it's one of the most impressive things I think I've seen on this run of Thunder because I was just jaw dropped, like jaw hit the floor because it's one of the best leg drops I've ever seen. The margin for error 
massive. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it, nine times out of ten that's getting fucked up by somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to be so precise, and he just absolutely nailed it. Very, very impressive. Uh, we then get to see what had apparently been passed out with these tapings, which large inflatable thunder video game covers uh, to people in the crowd. Weird. Uh, did, then we get a flashback. I was going to say, did you have that Thunder video game? No, I was an N64 kid. So I had World Tour and Revenge and then WrestleMania 2000 and No Mercy. Um, But apart from like watching clips and I think maybe played a ROM of the Thunder game, I I never owned it. Uh, I Um, owned it. What a game. Did you? What a great game. Yeah. Uh, you see, you seem really, definitely not sarcastic about no, that. You enjoyed that game. You could, you could, um, pick between the factions. So you could be in Raven's Flock. You could be in the NWO Hollywood, the NWO Wolfpack. You could be WCW, and your um, character would change colors. So if, if they were in the flock, they would just be wearing gray. I know the little bit everyone talks about is how when you'd select a character, they'd cut a little yeah. promo. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that were very kind of like we're running in your local area this weekend promos. And they weren't, genuinely weren't even that long. It would be like 10, 12 seconds. Great stuff. That's all you want. Um, Right, next up, uh, perhaps my favorite moment on this whole show. And it will sound weird to you when I say this, uh, dear listener, because the match is the cat with Sonny Ono versus Stevie Ray. And within a couple of seconds when i realized what the bit was i was nearly crying with laughter this was a very very good bit i had forgotten that on the go home thunder glacier had bartered away his entrance to the cat so the cat enters I was going to say, not right. just the entrance, his whole gimmick he gave away. The, the, the gimmick, everything about the entrance, like the intellectual property of Glacier. Um, so Cat comes out to Glacier's theme and his light show, and he's, he's like super annoyed about it. It's I think like, he, I, I think the bit is he forgot he paid for the entrance team. Yeah, and he, and he, he just like, wanted like, the lasers. He, yeah, he very rapidly gets the biggest case of buyer's remorse you've ever seen as he's coming out. Um, I, so I was already laughing at this point. Then he gets into the ring, at which point I noticed that he'd also got the snow machine from Glacier's entrance. And by the time he gets to the ring, he's so mad at the entrance that he starts trying to kick the snow. Incredible bit. But also the snow is so pathetic that he can't even get mad at it because it's nowhere near even getting to the center of the ring yeah so if you've seen that the sting aew entrance imagine about what five percent of that snow yeah easily yeah um a great sign that just cuts to the core of this man as he's walking to the ring a sign that just says ernest miller isn't good at all (laughs) it's just (laughs) just very dear sir I am writing to inform you that I find Ernest the Cat Miller a detestable professional wrestler. It's really like a fucking like 1920s dandy uh, writing writing a letter here. This That's great. Um, 
he argues with Penzer and Penzer says that the cat would like to be recognized as the greatest of all time and also the best looking wrestler of all time. It's a great bit. Um, they did mention on commentary about how like maybe he's partly annoyed because he'd been talking to Sonny Ono about how he wanted some James Brown, um, which is yeah, the with- start of... Yeah, go on. I was just going to say, we're just starting to lay the foundations for the surprise appearance of James Brown on pay-per-view next year. I'll say. Um, so, he starts shit with a man in the crowd, as he often does. Um, he said, he's yeah, he asks for some clown from the back to come out, some clown from WCW, and out comes Stevie Ray. Um, what I found funny about this is another thing that shows up that this is like a really slapdash uh, commentary recording session is that we're not supposed to know it's Stevie Ray. And as soon as the NWO music starts, Tony is like, well, Stevie Ray is coming out now in a second, even though it's supposed to be a mystery of moments. <laughs> yeah, good old Tony. Always giving away results. Uh, in another good little bit, the cat is going like, hold on a second. No, I said WCW, not NWO. You can go back. It's okay. I'll give you five seconds. And he calls him Yogi Bear. Uh, don't get that. Don't get that. It's one of those in-jokes, I think. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe our American friends know it as some kind of joke at the time of the time. Yeah. Um, so Stevie declines this offer. Um, it was kind of weird, this match. Because Stevie is the babyface, but he hasn't, like, they're sort of laying the seeds for a babyface turn because he's the one that's figuring out that Hogan's playing the B-team. But he hasn't actually turned yet. Yeah, and wasn't it the previous week where he had the backstage segment with Booker where he's still trying to get Booker to join the NWO? Uh, like previous week on Thunder, but about an hour ago as the people in this building are, are yeah. looking at it. You know what I mean? So they're not getting the crowd reaction they had, they had hopefully, because there's a bit during the, you know, where he gives them the five seconds to go away where Stevie is kind of signaling to the crowd to get them animated and they're kind of like, no. Yeah. No, <laughs> no thank you, sir. <laughs> um, so it's the usual Stevie Ray match. Like he's overwhelming Cat with power. Every time Cat fires up, he gets put back in his box. Um, Stevie picks up the cat like onto his shoulder at one point and his boot brushes Mickey J who takes a bump like he'd been shot with a rifle um, Sonny gets in the ring he goes to kick Stevie Stevie no sells it he's very unhappy he gets up hits Sonny with a slapjack uh, he signals to the cat to get up uh, at which point Vince runs out he cracks Stevie with the slapjack and the cat wins so it's like they put the cart before the horse in this match because they booked him as the babyface in the match, put him in a position where he was trying to get a babyface reaction, and then they do the NWO turning on him at the end of the match. Very strange. But it makes sense if you don't think about it. It. it oh, I will not argue that with you, my <laughs> friend, so let's not think about it anymore. I, I was just going to say, Stevie Ray sells that... Uh... That kick from Sonny Ono, like Chris Rock sells a slap from Will Smith. Hello, here he is. Topical. Topical Malone. <laughs> Straight in. Um, next up, we have uh, Wyndham and Hennig celebrating backstage at the pay-per-view. Um, Malenko and Benoit jump them with the belt that had been used in the finish and beat them down. So this feud must continue. 
we are getting on Saturday night this week uh, the Disciple, Saturn, the Cat, Jerry Flynn, and Ming. That is a jam-packed edition of WCW Saturday Night, my friend. Um, then we go into uh, Booker versus Brett from Nitro. And the, again, you know, hearkening on, man, they should have put the rocket on this guy. What a promo from Booker T that they showed before this match. Oh, yeah, you want to talk about Babyface Fire. This guy was ready. Um, yeah. Just, oh, God. Like, it just it annoys me. They, they never fucking pushed this guy when they should have. Yeah, it feels like there's a couple of clips they show from Nitro. Where I'm like, I kind of wish we'd watch Nitro this week. So he cuts this promo, like I said, about him. Like, I'm back to 100% and I am ready to go with Brett all night long. Uh, clips from the match. The match looks pretty yeah. good, especially by the kind of like, you know, Brett has been, as we've documented, like... Uh, you know, it really varies from week to week, from match to match, how motivated Brett seems or how, like, you know, good he can be at this point. Um, Booker wins with a sunset flip reversal into a roll-up. Uh, our next match is El Dandy and Viano 5 versus Canyon and Raven with the debuting Chastity. And I don't know which was more significantly, uh, Chastity debuting or, hey, Raven's actually in a match. Um, is it that long since Raven had a match? On Thunder, for sure it is. I uh, maybe maybe it's just because he's been such a part of the show for a while. I, su- I he's, suppose he's can- been doing can- the I'm yeah, sad. Can- Canyon was wrestling, and Raven would be sad in his corner. I suppose maybe yeah. that's what I'm thinking of. Um, hey, what do what do you think of them doing a callback on this on this uh, Raven injuring Viano for? Yeah, I know. Yeah, this they were really um, trying to make some sort of tenuous connection, and I had I I did remember when they said it that it, like Viano Five is here to avenge uh, Viano Five. Sorry, he's they're there to avenge Viano Four. Yeah. Should I say? Um, yeah, I'm like, you know, I don't think that was in any way deliberate when this match was put together backstage. But fair play on commentary for trying to make something out of it. Uh, I want to put over Raven big time for wearing an Inhumans shirt. Um, I am 90% certain that was Black Bolt I saw in his t-shirt, which, like, whatever about now, in 1999, that is a very deep cut. Um, so props to, to Raven on that one. He was obviously spending his time at home just reading comics, um, which, you know, there are worse ways to spend a life. Um, I would imagine that's not all he was doing at home. No, no. Well, obviously, he was hanging out with uh, Sandman under previous guys. He was uh, hanging out by the pool. He was doing shopping montages with Canyon. It was a busy time, busy time. Um, so he's on the mic, and he talks about how he's been sitting at home for months due to debilitating mental illness. It was worsened by listening to two jobbers talk about being hardcore. He is referring, of course, to Hack and Bam Bam Bigelow. He said he wants a match with them. He doesn't know when J.J. Dillon's ineptness will get to it. Uh, and they're going to get stomped like narcs at a biker rally. So there's your there's your gag in for your Bischoff audience. Um, Canyon in the most like um, he's like such a deliberate like lame weirdo says that he's here keeping it real in the one triple nine, which I loved. 
Um, Viano 5, lovely new jacket, <laughs> gotta be said. Fair play to him. Uh, there's not much to say about this match, you know. The commentators, you do, do the usual skit about Heenan pretending he doesn't know the difference between the Vianos and them having to point out to him, you just look at the numbers. Well, it was more that Tanay was getting pissed off at Tony and Bobby being like, well, how do you know you were talking to Viano 5? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, it right. says 5 on his mask. Well, that could be anybody under there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's all heel heat until Dandy fires up. Uh, Raven eventually hits the even flow. Uh, it takes ages to make the cover on this. Oh, this finish. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. Okay. So Raven hits the Raven effect. He takes ages to go over and make the cover. The ref counts three, but the bell doesn't ring. He pins him again, and then they win. As this is happening, Canyon gets the table. He places El Dandy on it, and Raven does like a corkscrew Slingshot splash kinda, yeah. through it. Yeah. What do you think? Like, do you think Raven was just supposed to pin Viano after the Raven effect? So i I think this was a case of miscommunication between the referee and Canyon. I think Canyon was supposed to already be on the floor with the table when the pin was counted, and that might have been the ref's signal. Okay. Because if you notice, if you wind the tape back, watch the footage, my friend, um, you'll see when the first three count happens and the bell doesn't ring, there's almost an immediate realisation on Canyon's face that he's not where he's supposed to be. He's yeah, still on yeah, the apron. Yeah. And he drops down and fucking pegs it around the ring to get the table out. So I think he was out of position and the the ref should have called for the bell, mm-hmm. but didn't. And Raven looked incredibly confused and just pinned him straight away again. Um, so I think that was supposed to be the finish and the ref and Canyon, some combination of the two of them blew it. That's my that's my best guess anyway. It's a, it was a really weird one. Yeah, really not, weird. not exactly the greatest return for... Um... Mr. Raven. No. Uh, next up, we get a flashback to Bam Bam versus Goldberg. And then, Lee, I'm going to hit the button here. Just move the seat back because this is the Lee Malone portion of the show. In a segment that we have been waiting for for many weeks on this show, we have Juventud Guerrera wrestling in Lee Malone's match of 1999, the debuting on Thunder, Blitzkrieg. Well, it's not this specific match. That's my match of 1999. Nope. This is it. This is it, Lee. I've said it now. <laughs> no, it's their coming match at Spring Stampede. Um, yeah. But yeah, Blitzkrieg. My God. Um, for anyone that wasn't around in 1999, like I, I don't know how I can aptly describe the uh, excitement I got from seeing this guy wrestle. Like he just moved totally different to how anybody I had seen in either the WCW or WWF Cruiserweight Light Heavyweight Division. He was just like from the like looking at him now, the the attire is not good. Like it's no total shindy, you know, here's a flippy flippy dude guy. But Nineteen ninety nine. My God, this guy! Like his name was Blitzkrieg. Yeah, I had, like I didn't have Google. I didn't know what Blitzkrieg was in nineteen ninety nine. Um, 
but yeah oh god like I was so excited watching this just average normal thunder and then it comes up to the next match and it's Blitzkrieg versus Hoovy. I just lost my shit I think I DM'd you straight away Um, I'm just so excited by this I I know his run doesn't last very long Um, so he doesn't stick around but I am totally going to enjoy any Blitzkrieg we get between now and the end of his run He's an interesting one to look at in 2022 because, like, I think looking at him now with current day eyes, he feels like a throwback. But at the time, he felt like something from the future because he is essentially the flippy mid-2000s indie style in one man. Mm -hmm. It is, within a few seconds, if you didn't know it, patently obvious that the person he most directly influenced into becoming a professional wrestler was one Jack Evans. Yes. So you ever seen Jack Evans in his pomp? That's the kind of thing you're sort of talking about with Blitzkrieg. And, and to the point where, um, as I mentioned to you on the first time you recorded this, briefly Jack Evans went by Blitzkrieg Which too. I wasn't aware of until you said it to me. I. It was only after you said to me that he influenced Jack Evans that I went, bingo, there you go. That's exactly what it is. Um, yeah. And it's funny, like, this is 1999. So I think, like, 2000s... Was it? Like, straight away in ROH, Gabe had Special K. I think it was more 2003 where Special K was a thing. Like, Blitzkrieg yeah. would absolutely have been a member of Special K. Yeah. He feels like the main problem with him was that he, he came around at exactly the wrong yeah. time. Like, even two years later, like, if, if this guy debuts when, in, when WCW are doing stuff like Three Count and the Young Dragons... Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, when they're doing that brief cruiserweight tag belt. Um, or he debuts after the fall of WCW when the kind of like independent scene starts to thrive. But he felt like he'd been around a little bit too long to be fresh when the indies, yeah. you know, start getting up on mm-hmm. their feet. But wasn't around for long enough to cash in off the, the Monday Night like Wars. He, he would have been perfect for like 2003, 2004 TNA. Oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, look, look. 2022 eyes and all that. I don't care. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna enjoy and mark out for any bit of Blitzkrieg we get on this show. I'm always gonna enjoy his matches just because, yeah, it might be pure nostalgia on my part, but I'm gonna be totally biased. I'm just gonna say, fucking Blitzkrieg, I love him and I'm gonna enjoy it. And it should be said, it technically wasn't his WCW debut because not only did he apparently have a match on Nitro, mm-hmm. but his first match in WCW was a dark match on a Thunder taping, teaming with one Super Dragon. Which, like... I mean... Th- imagine that team makes the I was air. just going to say, I bet you Blitzkrieg wish he kept uh, kept being friendly with one Super Danny. Yeah, I know, right? Holy shit. <laughs> Just real sliding doors. Shit he could have there. been one of the PWG um, six. Yeah, like look, it's not a you know apart from the kind of seeing the way he moves and things like that. Like it's not a particularly long or remarkable match. Who he wins with a who driver, but it is like you said, it is just a breath of fresh air in the middle of this show. Um, to have somebody with a completely different style and a completely different way of carrying himself, and even though the gear is kind of like. Mm, <laughs> 
<laughs> now, like at the time. But I mean, you're like y- you're saying it's a totally unremarkable match, but like in 1999, was it? Like, I I guess you know that's the thing about looking back at it from now is like this is all stuff we've now seen before, but this is probably this is probably twisting your melon back like, then. One of the first movements Creek does is like a drop salt. Yeah. And then the the speed at which these two and now we've we've talked about Hoovy on the show before. Hoovy is not the smoothest wrestler in the world at times. No. He's prone to botches. But yet when he's in there with Blitzkrieg, and we'll see it again at Spring Stampede when they have an even better match. Yeah. They just move and they just click and it just everything just keep everything going. works. Yeah, just keep moving. Like, he's doing stuff like standing corkscrew send-ons like it's fucking nothing. You know, um, it is kind of wild. So, yeah, we're happy to have Blitzkrieg here. And as you said, more about him when we get to the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a flashback then of Ray losing his mask. Uh, then we get what I'm sure was Lee's other favorite segment of the show. Uh, and that's the new K-Dog music video. <laughs> What'd you think of it, Lee? Um, not good. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Conan. We've been over this. Conan's super over. His music yeah. is not good. Um, I don't know. Like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Like it's just, it's not for me. So we actually got in, like, I don't want to try and, like, re- yeah, like, I, try to I, work I didn't, the I listeners. Yeah, I really want to touch on because, yeah, it yeah. was one time to We actually had a great chat on the first recording, and I will kind of, like, summarize what we were saying. So, like, in this music video, there's a bit where he's, like, it's got kind of a swing big band vibe to it at a certain point in this music video, and he's wearing... um. A, a zoot suit the the kind of suits with the like the like they're oversized have the giant mm-hmm. collars on them um and that got us into a bit of a chat about the history of the zoot suit which you hadn't been aware of like yeah. familiar with so there is kind of a resurgence of the the big band music um in the late 90s early 2000s there's like that that song Zoot Suit Riot by the Cherry Pop and Daddies is, is is I don't know if it's exactly around then, but it's in this kind of era where where that's in. Um, that kind of aesthetic is borrowed in a bunch of movies as kind of like a byword for cool. There's a lot of zoot suits and that kind of aesthetic in like the mask and stuff mm. like that in the early to mid nineties. Um, and the thing about Conan wearing it that's cool is the zoot suit. Um became synonymous with with latin american men at a certain point and also became a cudgel uh for white america to uh beat latin communities down with it um it became a thing that white conservatives in certain quarters tried to identify as anti-american and tried to pass laws making the the wearing of them illegal i think in in california is uh is where they attempted that and there was actually you know the song is named after there were zoot suit riots in 1943 as a result of all this um it and it says like just going by the wikipedia uh it says there's 150 people injured in it 
uh, and 500 plus people arrested. So like it is, it's one of those things where the reason I bring it back up again is because it's an area that's kind of like, I know very mm. surface level about it, as you've just heard. But I think both of us, when we had that discussion the first time, and now that we're having it this time as well, we'd actually be really interested if people could, you know, enlighten oh, yeah. us some 100%. more or, or, or throw some, like if there's, you know, articles or videos about like the kind of, um, that whole period uh, of history would be, um, yeah, no, it, it's something I knew nothing about. Um, I just knew them as the kind of oversized suits that were popular as popular in um, kind of late 90s music videos um, and yeah. didn't know the history behind it at all. But yeah, no, absolutely. I'd love if somebody could uh, enlighten us a bit more on the story behind it and everything about it. And, and just to say Conan's suit in particular, it's like this kind of burgundy number. Absolutely whopper. Loved it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> uh, we get a nitro flashback, uh, an extensive nitro flashback, like a full match. They played the whole segment, basically. Yeah. Um, it's Nash versus Ray. Um, Heenan on commentary is saying that they found Ralphus living at a nudist colony. Uh, Nash does a full promo of, uh, this is where I realised they were just doing the whole thing is that they showed Nash's full promo uh, saying that he apologises to Ray offers him his mask back says it doesn't fit him anyway because it's just sitting on top of his head uh, I think what he says is Ray it doesn't fit in. me he says it doesn't fit me anyway and Liz won't wear it oh yeah yeah <laughs> uh, Ray comes out and says what he actually wants is a piece of Nash uh, Nash hits oh god right so the match starts and you know everybody like Nash is one of the guys that definitely and sometimes definitely rightly so uh, gets pinged with the five moves of doom gimmick you know and one of the moves is definitely hair flip um, but he hits one of his running knee lifts on Ray right at the start of this that fucking sends Ray flying through the air legitimately Ray moves about three feet off this like knee to the go and he ah it's just one of the best cells you'll ever see yeah um so ray works nash's knee uh spinning wheel kick uh springboard face buster this is something as well right every time ray does anything in this match this crowd lose their fucking shit you know, and it's such a shame we are still firmly land of the Giants era because this is another guy that if you really got behind him, the fans are telling you that they would like to see him higher up the card and you just never have the faith in doing it. Like, that. they absolutely could have put the US title on right at this point. Yep. And everybody would have been so mm-hmm. delighted. Um, so he does... Bronco Buster, Nash recovers, Lawn darts him into the turnbuckle. He calls for the powerbomb. Ray reverses the powerbomb, rolls him up and wins. Um, and like, so here's the thing. Joe, you know, it's funny. We do this in the wake of the Scott Hall tribute episode. And we talk about when, when Scott was in with the right guy, he would happily make them look like a million bucks. And once it made sense, he would happily lose to anyone. You know, he... You know, he was a guy who was definitely guilty of protecting his spot at times, and maybe there are some guys that in the like the way history played out he should have put over. But he was a guy that, you know, demonstrated throughout his career that he would like 
sell like crazy for guys that you wouldn't think he necessarily like if if Nash for example was in the same position probably wouldn't uh-huh. sell like a million bucks for but Nash is a guy who I don't think there was any version of reality in which Ray was getting a I'm legitimately the better man one two three over Nash I think it was always going to be this kind of roll up cheat to win you know not cheat to win but roll up kind of catch me flash, unaware flash sort pin of kind of thing yeah. flash yeah. pin yes that's the phrase I was looking for thank you flash pin but that being said this crowd absolutely went crazy and Nash sells it like it's a major loss for him yeah oh yeah Nash like totally does his job here like and here's the thing like Nash takes more bumps in this two minute match than he might have in 1998 yeah, like honestly like I don't think you see Hulk Hogan bumping around this much um, in a 20-minute match. Look, I could be wrong, but I do get the sense that he liked Ray. Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, it probably comes back to he was friends with Conan, legitimately friends with Conan, and it could have been doing a favour to his friend and putting Ray over. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just a phenomenal moment here, and another thing that made me go, oh, God, I wish we'd been watching Nitro this week. But, yeah, what can you do? Uh, our main event, the incredible pairing of Bret Hart and the Disco Inferno. Um, one thing I liked about this, so inexplicable that this is the main event of Thunder in one respect, but something I really like when I thought about it, Lee, is that now Disco is officially in the Wolf Pack, therefore he is getting TV main yeah. events. He, like, for months they were doing the this. Disco is going to start taking things seriously. He's going to become a serious wrestler. But he's still Disco. And he's going to lower down the card. But like you say, now that he's a full NWO Wolfpack member, he's getting main events. Yeah. Makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. Um, So Disco tries to get everybody to stand for his rendition of the Canadian National Anthem. Brett comes out. Uh, it, It's all Brett early on in this match it's rightfully so uh takes disco outside just pummels him to bits uh disco gets the heat with an eye gouge um brett regains the upper hand um and does the kind of like brett build to a finish where he's just working disco's legs and uh, in a classic we were trying to fill time on this thunder yet somehow still ran out of time uh, Brett finally gets him in the sharpshooter, submits him, and the show just fucking ends. Yeah, talk about uh, fucking bad editing. Um, yeah, I thought this match fucking sucked. Um, like a yeah. re- blink, blink and you'll miss a it. A really like. disappointing main event. Like consi- considering yeah. Disco had been better over the past couple of weeks, and we saw mm. basically the whole match that Brett had with, with Booker on Nitro. Yeah. Like I know this was taped before Nitro, but like you can see that Brett can still go. This was just. Mm. I think you said on the first episode you do get the impression that Brett had no respect for Disco and just didn't really <laughs> couldn't be arsed nor should he have in some respects but it is also disappointing that like it's so rare we get a Brett match on Thunder they're like okay maybe we'll get something of a decent quality here and between the yeah the I, I could feel the lack of respect radiating off mm-hmm. my screen but also the fact that like you look at the amount of time that's left in the show as like we're getting fucking nothing here um, and it's disappointing because like it, one of the ways we would probably fill time on a on a 
double taping is that instead of showing some pointless segments or having you know another squash match with someone no one cares about I mean like let's give these two fuckers time and see if there's something there can yeah. Brett make this can he make this guy look good yeah uh, just yeah. to fucking at this point and end to a very so-so episode yeah, it peaks and valleys this episode. There was stuff I was really into. There was stuff that was bad but kind of funny. Uh, but ultimately, it's it's a very forgettable yeah. thunder. Like the two most the two most memorable things on it were both matches from mm-hmm. Nitro that they showed. Um, of course, sorry, the debut of Blitzkrieg, oh, yeah, obviously. But other than that, yeah. Um, Overall th- thoughts on the show, pal. Winners and losers, please. Yeah, I mean, look, like I said, it, it's a, a very so-so episode, ups and downs. Um, I think it's the worst episode we've had in a couple of weeks. Like, they yeah. they had a good run of some very enjoyable episodes for the most part. So this, this one is kind of disappointing. I came in looking at the main event going, that could be decent enough. And I think if the main event had been a better match, I wouldn't be so down on the episode in general. Yeah, it's one of those, like, the last impression of a show is how you feel the overall show yeah, was. Yeah, for sure. Um, winners, Blitzkrieg and Hoovy, absolutely. Um, I thought the cat was very entertaining. Yeah. Um, losers, I mean, Hack just looks like fucking shit, doesn't he? And yeah. Raven, ultimately, because they've dropped his rich kid gimmick which seemed to be going mm. somewhere, and now it's just back to Raven doing yeah. hardcore stuff. Might not have been going anywhere good, but it was going somewhere. Yeah. You know I mean, they had some sort of idea. Um, yeah, very, very disappointing. Uh, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borger gives us six matches with five clean finishes and one interference leading to a finish. Thank you all so much for tuning into another episode of Days of Thunder. We'll be back in two weeks with our next stop on Thunder Road. Until then, uh, be safe, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder was produced by Lee Malone and edited by me, Dave Ryan. Keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWThunderPod or click the Linktree link in our Twitter bio or in the show notes. I am at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Follow the VOW network anywhere. Good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts than you can shake a stick at. Thanks. I can hear the thunder